0: Samuel 23, and it's, it's a story that is not as well known as others, and so we're going to read a total of 13 verses, but I want you to pay attention to what's going on here. It's about uh, David, he's not king yet, he's on the run from Saul, so understand that while this is going on, David himself is being hunted. So this is after Goliath, but before David is king, he's in his 20s. And there's a band of men that are running many of them are are uh, guys that have gotten into trouble. There are uh, fellows that have just uh, sort of fell, fallen by the wayside there's fellows that are in debt, and uh, they're all they all <laughs> gather behind david and he 's their ringleader and uh So this story is about a city, and i 'm going to pronounce it Keela uh, there are, I read three pronunciation, pronunciations uh, in different places. Uh, one was uh, Keilah, another was Keilah, another one was uh, Kelaw. So I decided to go with uh, Keilah here. So follow along as I read 1 Samuel chapter number 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, this city of Keilah, the threshing floor. So they're planting a harvest, harvesting the crop. And then the threshing floor is where you take the wheat and you make it usable so it's it's sort of the uh uh sort of the it's the mill really and so by the time the wheat has gotten to the mill all the work's been done so the philistines are coming in after the ground has been plowed and the crop has been planted and the crop has been cared for now the crop has been harvested and now it's brought to the mill and now it's ready to go to market or to be taken home, whatever the case it is. It, it, it's been all year long in preparation. And that's when the Philistines come in and take, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a, a desperate criminal. It's another thing to be a total loser. All right. And when you're, when you're just stealing to survive, I guess you could be a desperate criminal. You're not a good guy for sure. But as the Bible says, men understand that. When a a man is starving and he steals to to feed his family, it's not right, but there's something that, okay, I get that a little bit. But when you're calculating to ambush a mill after the thing has been totally processed, after all year long, all these families have brought their crops and you're just going to ride in and take it? And not care, you're you're just a total loser. And that's what the Philistines were doing. And David gets word of it. And instead of acting out of rage and saying, all right, we're going to go get those Philistines, he goes to the Lord. Lord, what should I do? Should I go up against the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, the end of verse 2, go and smite the Philistines and save Keilah. And David's men said to him, Behold, we be afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we come to Keilah against the armies of Philistines are saying, "Hey, David, we're on the run. We're barely surviving ourselves. Are you nuts?" Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. I mean, uh, that's David says I'll ask him again if you want me to, but God told us to go. And the Lord answered him and said, "Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand." So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. And I want you to read that last sentence of verse 5 together with me out loud. Ready? So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Read it again. Ready? So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. David saved them. He fixed everything for these people. Wow. What are they going to do? Are they going to have a parade for them? Or are they going to? have a national honor David at least put up a monument in your in your town David saved the city everything's okay now we can harvest our crop now we can we can enjoy what we have what we have worked for now everything's fine we have peace now right let's keep reading came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Keilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Keilah. Don't forget, David's on the run from King Saul. And Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And David called all the people together to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. The ephod was a a garment that was used by the uh, priests and the Levites to find the will of God. And it was a tool that God had provided. And so when they have an ephod, they have a way to seek the will of God. So David says, Bring the ephod. Anytime somebody in the Bible says, Bring the ephod, they're saying, We're seeking the will of the Lord. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant, and the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver thee up. You're kidding me. So they're inside of a walled city. David's intelligence tells him, Saul found out you're here. He's coming to get you. David ought to be I mean, the people of Keilah ought to be standing on the wall, armed and ready to protect David. And David's intelligence says Saul's coming because he found out that you're inside of a, inside of a walled city. And David says, Lord, is, is Saul coming down? Lord said, yes, he is. And I sort of get the feeling as I read it, it strikes me that David really doesn't want to ask the question because he's afraid he knows what the answer is will the men of this city really give me up? Now, there. let me stop and say, it's a difficult time for the people of Israel because loyalty to the king tells you, you have to give David up. Loyalty to the king. And so as you read the whole thing of David and Saul, for the most part, God does not indict the people of Israel for staying loyal to the king. After all, on one hand, they have their king who is who is being deceitful. He's acting out of jealousy. He is acting out of emotion and not out of principle. And he is hunting down not just an innocent man, but the man who is the hero of Israel for killing the champion of the Philistines. And so the people of Israel, when they're in this position, what do I do? Do I protect David? Or am I loyal to the king? The right thing to do is to always be loyal to the king. So they're in a tough spot. And here's a lesson, by the way, not the message, but when you act like that, as Saul did, you put the people that love you in a difficult spot. You put the people that follow you in a difficult spot, in an impossible spot. Well, I know the right thing to do is to stand by him, but I don't know the right thing to do is to stand by, by David. What were they supposed to do? So even though immediately my Moses says, man, stand up for David. He saved your life for crying out loud. There's a part of me that understands. It's the principled part of me that understands the king of Israel is asking you a question. You answer him truthfully. And when they say, bring David out, we're going to say, okay. So I'm not going to be too hard on the people of kela If uh, Keilah, if they've done something wrong, it's on Saul. He made this necessary. He made this put, put them in this position. Let's read verse number 13 and I'll finish the thought here. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Keilah and he forbore to go forth. Once Saul found out David wasn't there anymore, he called it off. Turn, if you would please, now back to Psalm 31. And as you turn, let me point this out. David is a very strong young man, and yet he, he, he has a huge heart. And he's a thinking young man. And he feels and he loves deeply. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all, would you? If David, on one hand, his mind says, well, listen, listen. If I was called upon by King Saul to give up a fugitive, I would do that. And yet there had to be a part of David that caused him to say, I just saved these people. I just delivered their whole city. I put their whole city back on the right track. And God tells me that if, when Saul comes calling, They'll turn me over. Now, I don't know that it makes him angry at the people of Keilah. But at the very least, it's got to make him go back because David's a very wise man, wise young man. It's got to make him go back and say, why is Saul putting all of us through this? Why is Saul? I bet you this is probably the conclusion that David draws. Why is Saul putting us in the position where people who want to show their gratitude to me and my men can't even do it because they're in in fear of the wrath of the king. Now, why that story? Most of the, or not most, many of the Psalms, especially the ones written by David, we are told the circumstances and without doubt, for example, Psalm 51 is without a doubt attached to his repentance of his sin with Bathsheba and her husband. So there's no doubt about that. Psalm 51 is, is clearly written on the occasion of David's getting right with God. But other Psalms are not stated as clearly and yet scholars have attached them to certain incidents in David's life. And Psalm 31, scholars, most Bible scholars, have attached to this story that we just looked at from 1 Samuel 23. So put yourself in David's position. He and his men have sought they have followed the will of God to the T. They have delivered an entire city. Do, Do you know how it feels like Uh, we don't have this opportunity to to feel this way what we do at our at our Sunday dinner to feed the hungry and you've had other opportunities I'll never forget the feeling during uh, Hurricane Sandy the aftermath there and uh, we just we took our bus and we filled it full of water and after the lights came back on here it dawned on us the the Saturday Hurricane Sandy was uh, was on a Sunday wasn't it, um, uh, or or, or it, was over, it was one weekend and we were without power. At we were uh, for most of that week, and the lights came on the following Friday for us or so. And by Saturday, it, it I I felt like everything was back to normal. And I'm, but I'm listening. I'm working in my garage. I'm listening to the news, and on the news they're talking about how there's people in the city. Who have no water. Well, I had just been to Walmart that morning. And everything at, at Walmart here, the shelves were full. Everything was fine. And I thought, man, if 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 we have plenty here and they have nothing in parts of the city, we got to do something for them. And uh, right away, I, call, I called uh, Mark Kinsman. I said, uh, I ran it past him. And I wanted to go that night. And uh, he, he basically was, you know, whoa, big fella. And he said, uh, we, we talked it over. And I said, uh, you're right. Tonight's, that's uh, that's too impulsive. So we brought it to And everybody, I don't know if you remember, if you were here that day, we sent everybody, uh, you go to this grocery store. We, we don't want to wipe anybody out. So let's all split up and go to 10 different grocery stores and get uh, cases of water and so forth. And we loaded the bus up. I think we had 300 cases of water. And I don't know how many gallons of water. And uh, five or six of us went down, and we went to we we just picked a place. There were a number of places we picked Rockaway, and man, am I glad we did. Uh, they were in the dark. Well, we we went there in the daytime, but I mean everything was the the lights were out, and uh, they they needed. Uh, but but the great need they had was water, and I'll never forget pulling up to these places. And, uh, you know, we went wherever the people were, but I'm telling you, there were people of all classes. This was not a this was not a class thing. This was not a, a poor section. Everybody was thirsty. And wherever we pulled the bus up, uh, we had to have a couple of guys, you know, at each door just to calm everybody down. And, I mean, people were packed at the back door of the bus, taking, you know, you get your case and walk away and let the next guy have his. And people were clamoring, and, and uh, one of the, one of the fellows on the bus said, "Man, for the first time in my life, I know what it feels like to be a rock star." It's like, man, people are screaming, "Oh, we want water, we want!" It was unbelievable, and it was a great feeling to know that you that you met a desperate need. Now imagine David, we saved the city, we saved the city, and now you have to walk away in shame. Imagine also, get this, get this. He's looking at the people, and they don't know that Saul is coming. They don't know yet that they, and and they never found out, by the way. They never found out that they would be given the opportunity to turn over their hero. So David was at least allowed to leave as the hero, because they never did turn him over. They never knew they were going to have to. But God knew what was in their hearts. And so David got to leave as the hero, but he left knowing that when push came to shove, they were going to give him up. And that had to go back on Saul. And so David, Bible scholar believes, writes Psalm 31. With that story in mind, putting yourself in David's shoes Let's read Psalm 31. You follow along as I read. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me. For thou art my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I've hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I'll be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief. Yea, my soul and my belly, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel, for I've heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies, from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servants. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplication when I cried unto thee. O love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Now from this story and what David wrote, presumably in the middle of this incident, I lift verse number 19, and the reason I took the time to go through the story to paint the picture for you is because I wanted you to get a feel of of the loneliness, the desperation that David felt as he walks away from a place where he has totally done the right thing. He has helped people, and he has to leave in shame. He's forced to leave in shame when he's done nothing wrong. And in the middle of that, he says these words. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Now, we talk about the goodness of God, all right? And I love the expression "God is great" all the time, all the time. God is God is good all the time. I don't know where that comes from, but I like it. I love the emphasis on God's goodness. I think here the goodness of God is specifically talking about action. Okay, in other words, all right. During testimony time, a little while ago. I said, tell me, testify of of examples of the goodness of God in your life. And you told me of incidents. You testified of events. And that's what I was after. But then we we correct that sometimes, and I think rightfully so, by saying yeah, but you know what? Even when things are bad, God is, you know, even in the valley, God is good. God is good all, all the time. Even when it seems like things are bad. And that's true. So Here's what I'm getting at. There is, a, there is the, the character of God, which is good always. God can do nothing but good. There's the character of God, which is good, and then there are examples of the goodness of God. And I think here he's talking about, uh, be, and, uh, and there's reasons why I think this, I believe he's talking about acts of the goodness of of God. Have you ever been going through a difficult time? And in the middle of that difficult time, something happens just to remind you that God's in control. And you go, Oh, the goodness of God. Even in the middle of all this hardship, the goodness of God. And I bet if I went having having painted that scenario if we went back and I said now tell me of the acts of the goodness of God in your life when you're going through a hard time I bet so many of you and if your recall is as bad as my, mine is you might not be able to think of it now but you'll think of it tonight about 2 30 tomorrow morning you wait oh yeah there was that but if we went back around probably there'd be more stories of oh yeah one time i tell you things were bad and uh I'll tell I'll tell you one such story from, from way back, all right we were we were starting our Sunday school in April of 1996 and um, I had uh, things things were tight financially and uh, I I'm talking about me personally not they probably were for the church too but but for me personally and uh, we lived over here on Stone Street. We lived in Danbury for for about a year and uh, and I had gotten behind in the electric bill uh so much so that one night we had we had guests in town and we were having a great meeting we came home that night and uh discovered that they had cut off our electricity and uh so but we had neighbors we were in an apartment building so i just got out the extension cords and uh I ran some electricity from the from the laundry room wherever i could find an outlet but boy i was i was discouraged i was angry i was oh man i can't believe this and meanwhile we're trying to run a you know little Sunday school conference there at the at the uh, VFW there and and um but you know you just get frustrated and um I went up to the mailbox and I've I've still I still have this in framed in my office I went up to the mailbox and I pulled it out and it was it was a, a little envelope little white envelope the kind that you send a payment in you know it's got the and um Typed on, the, typed on the outside was uh, Joe Vasek, 11 Stone Street, Danbrae, Connecticut. And the return address was 523 Sibley Street, Hammond, Indiana. Oh, that's weird. That's First Baptist Church. And I went down, and in the light of the little <laughs> makeshift light that I had set up there, I opened it up, and inside was a handwritten letter. It said, Dear Joe, I miss seeing you here in church. I miss seeing Amy here in church. And I did see you at pastor school. I want you to know I'm praying for your conference this week. I heard about your conference. I'm praying for it. Hope the church is doing well. Sincerely, Jack Hiles. Handwritten. You know what? I didn't need the light anymore. (laughs) I didn't need the electricity. That was like, now, uh, some of you get that. Some of you don't. That nobody gets a handwritten letter from from Doctor Jack Hiles. It it I could I, it just blew my mind. I don't even know how he knew that we were having a conference. And uh, you know what? The lights were still out. I still had to pay that bill. We still had to get the electric turned back on. We still had to dig out of that hole. But the goodness of God, in the middle of that, perfectly timed to let me know, I got you. You know. Yeah, you're an idiot for not getting the light light bill paid, but but I got you. It's going to be okay. Even by the way, in the middle of a situation, that was my fault. It was my fault that the lights got turned out. I'm not I'm not uh, trying to sound like a martyr. It was my fault, and yet God said, "Here's my goodness. It's gonna it's gonna be okay." How many times have you been in the middle of a difficult situation, and God does something to say, "Hey, I love you." It's going to be okay. Sometimes it wasn't your fault at all. Sometimes, yeah, this was your fault, but I'm still with you. I'm letting you know. I've got you. Now, all that, you say, Pastor, it doesn't even really sound like you got the message yet. I haven't, but, man, the message is going to go so fast, okay? So let's look at it. I want you to notice, first of all, it says, oh, how great is thy goodness. All right, stop there. The word great there doesn't mean, like, awesome. It means great in quantity in other words how abundant is thy goodness which is one thing by the way that leads me to believe that this is talking about actions not just character because anything that can be quantified it leads me to believe that that's actions activity I'm not saying I know this for sure but I just feel like these are the actions of God that show his goodness so God's goodness is abundant. There will be times when your friends are not so abundant. But God's goodness is always abundant. There will be times when your health, good health is not abundant. There will be times when money is not abundant. There will be times when good circumstances are not abundant. But God's goodness is always abundant. So... Even if I can't see it, David said in Psalm 27, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's times when you don't see the goodness of God at work, but just knowing it's abundant. That brings me hope. But wait a minute, let's keep moving. Not only is it abundant, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up. You know what that means? It means stored away. God is storing Away his goodness. Isn't that a great thought? God's goodness is stored away. He has laid it up. For what? That's a different question for a different time. But right now, just understand, there are storehouses of God's goodness So God's goodness is abundant, and he has laid it up. He he saved it. He stored it away. The God who loves you has storehouses filled with his goodness. Yeah. But wait. Read on. Which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought... God's goodness is abundant. God's goodness is stored away. God's goodness is custom made. Thou hast wrought for them that trust thee. Handmade. Handcrafted. God doesn't have his acts of goodness mass manufactured in China and shipped over. He custom makes every one of them thou hast wrought when i when i hear the word wrought i always think of an iron fence and i see an anvil and a hammer and a fire maybe a blacksmith's truck and wrought god handcrafts his goodness so it's abundant it's stored away And it's hand crafted. By the way, this, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But the thing that you need, I had a need last week. And I was, I was pleading with God almost every waking moment. Show me, Lord. I started, I started pulling out things (laughs) that, uh, things that I, that I pulling out, in other words, uh, there are promises that I save for when I really have needs. And I started pulling out those promises. Lord, you said those kind of things. Not bargain things, not... Uh, and I don't ever think I've got God in a corner. I don't mean that. But there are promises that I save for desperate needs. And I pulled out some of my desperate needs promises. And all of a sudden... God opened a door here and he opened a door here and he opened a door here. And pretty soon I had what I needed. From places that I didn't see it coming from places that I all of a sudden was like, oh, okay. And what I needed to be reminded of is that God has storehouses of his abundant goodness with handcrafted handcrafted, provision. God's goodness is custom-made, it is hand-crafted, wrought, which he has wrought. He has wrought. Wrought is one of those words that I just, if you're a craftsman, I think you know that word. If you're not, I don't know how to define it. I've looked it up, I've studied it a little bit, and I, every time I try to define it, I don't know how. It just means God took it, he molded it, he shaped it, it, he, shaped it, it he, he, he handcrafted it, he custom-made it for you. He wrought. God's goodness is abundant. His goodness is stored away. His goodness is custom-made. And don't miss this. Oh, man, look at this. Which thou has wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men, exclamation point. Just like Jeb, exclamation point. It's before the sons of men, exclamation point. How many know what I'm talking about just like Jeb? Okay, all right. Jeb Bush's uh, thing. It's just Jeb. And uh, so before the sons of men exclamation point this is a this is a shout here now i have a question does god is the goodness wrought before the sons of men or are we trusting in the lord before the sons of men do you get that read it and and answer which one is it which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. So which is being done before the sons of men, the rotting or the trusting in the Lord? Here's what I think. I think it's both. I think when you trust in the Lord before the sons of men, before the world, God's goodness is wrought for you before the world. Before the world. So, It's not that, you know, you come home after fighting the battle and there's a package from God on the doorstep that he delivered in secret. No, he delivers it in the sight of the sons of men. So God's goodness is abundant. It is stored away. It is custom made. And number four, God's goodness is delivered to the sight. God's goodness. Now, I would. Remind you here that there are some qualifications for them that fear thee, for them that trust in thee. And I could give you some thoughts on how to fear the Lord, and how to trust the Lord. But I think what's more important is for us to ask the Lord to teach us how to fear him and how to trust him. Every person in this room, if you plan to breathe the rest of the week, how many of you plan to breathe the rest of the week? All right, just about all of us. We're going to encounter situations where we will have to choose to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. You're going to receive, somebody's going to receive some, some very difficult news sometime this week, and you're going to have to choose whether or not you will fear the Lord and trust the Lord. You're going to have a setback. I think tomorrow's a holiday so maybe Tuesday morning you're going to turn on the news at 9:30 and find out yep it's still going down <laughs> you're still you're still leaking money and you're going to have to decide whether you're going to fear the lord and trust the lord you're going to have maybe a health crisis or maybe just the little petty things that you face at work and you're going to have to decide Will you fear the Lord? Will you trust the Lord? Problems at home. Problems with maybe mechanical problems, with maybe with your house. Something goes wrong. You know, we're going to get a little touch of a little bit colder. It's going to be a colder week than it has been so far. Still not January weather, really, but it's going to be a little cooler this week, a little chillier. And isn't that always when something goes wrong with the furnace or something goes wrong with the pipes? And somebody here may face that. You're going to have to decide when that happens, when that hits. And you're waiting for the plumber, the furnace man to call you back. And your family's freezing. Are you going to fear the Lord and trust the Lord? Every one of us this week, if you intend to breathe all week, you're going to face things where you're going to have to choose whether or not you're going to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. So why don't you ask him to teach you? Let me remind you, it's not always the big things where we have to learn to fear the Lord and trust him. Most of us are good at the bigger things because that's when we know, hey, the stage lights are on. We gotta, now we got we to step up. Most of our failures, I'm afraid, are in the little things that we haven't yet learned to fear the Lord and trust him in those little things. And if we'll fear him and trust him, Hey, his goodness is abundant for us. His goodness is stored up for us. His goodness is custom made for us. And his goodness, when he knows the time is right, will be delivered to the sight. Man, I want to learn how to fear him and trust him, don't you? Let's bow our heads. Lord,